Okay. Last week we finished the book of 1 Corinthians. And <coughs> after Labor Day, we're going to start a new series. After we get back from that, uh, we'll be getting a new series. And usually we go from um, uh, Old Testament to New. Old Testament to New. So we try to balance our point of view. So having just finished Corinthians, we'll be heading into the Old Testament next week after the holiday. <coughs> but that gave me just one day to play, do what I want to do. And that's the hardest thing in all the world. I always do series because I don't have to think about what I'm going to do. See, I just go to the next chapter. And that helps a lot. And uh, when you say, well, you got the whole Bible, pick one, it's baffling. I must have read for three hours trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then I opened the, where I was Sunday, and right next to it was today. So Psalm 119, um, we're going to do another section of the Psalms here out of Psalm 119. <coughs> you paid good attention, of course, Sunday. So you already know this, I know. But uh, Psalm 119 was written by David through his whole lifetime as he kept lists and notes when thoughts came to him about the Bible. And somebody put them together, maybe he did, 22 different sections here, uh, each one with... Uh, Hebrew alphabet, ABC, it was only 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So we're going to start at verse 89 today. And this list of things that are true about the Bible, Psalm 119, starting at verse 89. <coughs> and if you want a wider concept of the Bible, you read through this. You don't just read through this in a minute. <laughs> the, the commentators who wrote about it, and the most remarkable one was Spurgeon. And Spurgeon did a series on the book of, of Psalms, and it's two volumes, and they're both about that thick. And I use it all the time. It's the best thing ever done on the book of Psalms. And he said, when I was going through the book of Psalms, I got to Psalm 119, it was overwhelming. So I skipped it. <laughs> and then I finished the rest of them. And then I went back and tried to do Psalm 119. And I've read a couple people had the same comment. It's so broad and vast and, and its concepts are... There are so many that it's hard to just say, okay, let me just read this and I'll get it, because you won't. You can't. There's just so much here. <coughs> Particularly if we consider its singular point of view, which is it's here to tell us about the Bible. So, obviously, David's opinion of the Bible is very high, as should be all of ours. And he had what? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, probably Joshua and Judges, maybe Ruth, but that was it. That's all he had. And Ruth was his great-grandmother. Okay, so he would have had that story from his own family, but uh, that was the last book he would have had, and uh, it's pretty amazing. And maybe Job, might have been Job in there, which is out of chronological order, in the Bible. So uh, he really didn't have much to read that like we do. We got pretty exciting stories to read in the New Testament, Jesus healing and Jesus coming to the world and all the wonderful stuff. And we've got exciting things in the Old Testament with the kings and, and the prophets and all that he didn't have. So he had very little to go on, but he came out with all of this. So he's a good reader. He's a good reader. And when we read the Bible, it'll test you. See how good you are. Uh, what kind of a reader are you? Can you read it and grasp it 
and can you get hold of it and figure it out? And it's a challenge, no doubt. Uh, some people blame the King James Version for being out of date. That's okay, there's plenty of them out there that have modern English, you can get any one of them. And uh, you see if it helps. <laughs> it might help, uh, some do, but uh, it's the same thing. So here we go, at verse number 89, I'm starting Psalm 119, we're starting at verse number 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So uh, God's word, he's saying, is up in heaven. Now, it's not the heavens. You see, it's singular. God's word is in heaven. But it's not, he says, not in the heavens. The heavens, uh, David writes in a different psalm, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day into day utter speech, and there is no place where their voice is not heard. He's talking about the sun and the moon and the stars. And they shine down on this earth, and they're saying something to us. Uh, the hand that made us is divine. All right, it's what it's telling us. So we look up at the stars, and I can't help but look up and repeat that psalm. Last night I peeked out the window, saw stars up there, and I can't help but heavens declare the glory of God. It's fantastic. All right, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about heaven where God lives, another dimension of existence, not in our dimension, and the stars and the sun are in our dimension of existence. He's talking about heaven where the throne of God is, and he says up in heaven where God is, uh, the word of God is settled. It's written down there. It's used there, it's settled, uh, it doesn't change, it's immutable, is the word that uh, theologians like to use, that is it cannot change. And so God put it up in heaven, and you want to know if there's a book up there, I don't know what's up there, but I know that everything in heaven is run by God's word, and there's nothing outside of that. And so you think... Well, where is God's word? All is up in heaven, all right? Uh, where nothing can touch it, no man can reach it. It's up there, settled in place, uh, forever there, up in heaven. And so if you can't get at it, you can't change it. <laughs> That's why God put it up there. Because they've been trying to change God's word ever since it was written. Always somebody trying to change God's word and man's attempts always come to change the Bible. You know, try to get it to be saying something different than it does. Uh, the Jehovah Witnesses are one example of that. Jehovah Witnesses have attempted to change God's word. They actually hired Greek translators and they said, well, we're going to get experts, and they're going to translate the Bible into what is written originally, and we'll have it all just perfect. So they did. They hired Greek translators. The Greek translators were honest, and they translated it as best they could. And then the Jehovah Witnesses said, well, uh, we're going to make a couple changes. <laughs> And the, the most famous one is in John chapter 1, verse 1, which is, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Or in the beginning was Jesus, the Word, and the Word was with God, Jesus and the Father were up in heaven in the beginning, and the Word was God, or Jesus was God. And so they said to the Greek translators, we're going to put an A in there. Just one little letter, it won't make any difference. The word was, in the beginning was a word, word was with God, word was a God. Changed the entire meaning. Goes against the whole Bible. Bible teaches from Genesis all the way to Revelation that Jesus is God. All right, that's the main thrust of the Bible. Make sure you understand that Jesus is God. And they say, well, no, he's not. He's an angel. So we're going to change it and fix it. 
trying to change God's word. So should we worry about it? No, it's settled up in heaven. God's got it up there. You can't change it. And a lot of people try to change it. The Catholic Church tried to change it. They said, we're going to sell indulgences. And the indulgences will cover your sins and make sure you're okay and go to heaven. So if you've got some money, we'll sell you an indulgence, and the indulgence will forgive your sins. All right, that's what they were teaching, which is about as far off as you can get from the truth. All right, and that was, of course, in the time of Martin Luther. What did Martin Luther do? He read the Bible. Imagine that. He read the Bible, and he got it out, and he started reading it. He said, you know, I don't see anything in here about paying for your salvation. He said, I don't see that at all. And so he nailed up 91 arguments on the door of his church and said, I'd like to discuss this stuff because the church is wrong. And they were wrong. They were very wrong. And so they said, Martin Luther uh, is the beginning of a reformation. It wasn't really a reformation. It was just, okay, let's go back and see what it says. And that's the basic part of the Bible, and this is what it says. And so and it's called the Reformation. I don't care what they call it, really. But it, what it was is somebody read the Bible finally and said, okay, these people got way off, and we're going to bring it back to where it belongs. This is very true today in modern society. This modern Christian society we live in uh, really uh, is in a continual search or something new, and it's become very trendy, very trendy. And what they do is anything they can find that'll sell a book, I think that's the main goal that they have. For example, they have what they call now the organic church. Our church is organic. Well, you use fertilizer on it or not. What? Are you kidding? Your church is organic. Your vegetables are organic. I'm okay, but your church isn't organic. But they got a new word. Our church is organic. And everybody buys all the books because they all want to have an organic church. And that's just one example. There's multitudes of examples. Things like small group. Our church is a small group church. We've been calling it a Bible study for the last 33 years. You know, small groups, Bible study, okay? Started out of my house, small group, Bible study. I didn't call it small group. I said, have a Bible study. <laughs> but they like new words, and I want to tell you the reason why they are bored with spiritual truth. That basic foundational truth that comes from us out of the Bible, they're bored with it. And they're in search of something a little happier, whatever to get their attention. And so they become extremely trendy. And uh, if you can't take this truth and say, this is fantastic. I don't need to find something new. I got what it is right here. It's settled up in heaven after all. It's not changeable. All right, in heaven, this is what they have, how they operate, he says. And so the trendy nature of the church, a continual search for something new, as I think it connected. I'm not the first one to express this opinion. Uh, they're connected with the idea that they're bored with spiritual truth. And they go searching for some new way to say it, some new way to express it, and it doesn't even hardly have to make sense, like organics, all right? What are you kidding? Well, anyway, never mind. Don't get me going. Um, or even new translations have fallen to this. Uh, in the 70s, they produced the New International Translation. And it wasn't a bad translation, but they said, well, now you can understand the Bible because we fixed it. It's perfect. You're going to understand all about it. Now, and you're going to have a full understanding because we did something new. All right? And uh, 
the new international really hasn't lived up to that standard. And everybody doesn't suddenly grasp the Bible. And so a lot of times with translations, it's the same thing. This is a better one. You'll understand your Bible. Well, if it helps, I use them. I use them. I don't say that they're wrong, but I don't say that they're suddenly revealing what wasn't there before. Because forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I like to sing the song that we sing, His truth is marching on. It has been and will be and keeps marching on. He produces this is the truth. You've got it. And uh, our thoughts and the way we view the world is at best described as being unsettled. Unsettled. But God is nothing unsettled about it. He has settled it all. He has it all there. It's all settled. And so, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in the heavens. It's been said. It's been lived. It's been shown. It's been operational up in heaven. And it's not something that you can change. It is what it is. And so, uh, we value that kind of thinking because... Uh, We're not here to find something brand new. We're here to take what God said and learn it and understand it and stick with that. That's good enough. That's more more than good enough. Uh, Like we sing in the song, uh, how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said? Right? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. He's got it all said. When Jesus left this world, he said it all. And uh, so it's there. We're okay. <coughs> and it's settled in the heaven. Verse 90. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth and it abideth. I want to talk about the first phrase first. Thy faithfulness is for all generations. And think about it in the context of what we're talking about. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's unchangeable, immutable. It is settled and sure. All right. And then he says, your faithfulness is to all generations. And I think about that uh, Sometimes it, it just kind of amazes me. My great-grandfather was a preacher in Norway. He lived on an island out in the Atlantic Ocean. And on Sunday mornings, he got up early, got in his rowboat, and rowed across to the mainland, and tied his boat up, and then he walked to church a few miles. And he got there, and he preached. And I think to myself... Wow, that's a lot different than I do. <laughs> I don't do that. I don't ride, row a boat through the swamp, you know, to get here. Um, and it seems like it's so different. But it's so removed. I mean, we drive to church in our cars that come from miles around doesn't surprise us at all. Somebody comes from Batavia, somebody comes from Lockport, wherever. Uh, that doesn't surprise us at all. Uh, and it seems far removed from what he was doing. But I think about it. He preached the same Bible I do. Preached the same texts I do. Preached the same word of God that I do. And this was back in the 1800s. And I think, wait till I see him. I say, so what was your sermon? Same as yours. What do you think? You know, if we're settled in heaven, uh, it's the same thing. And so God has made the Bible so that you can carry it on from generation to generation. The promises of God are ancient, given out good for one generation to the next to the next. And so he says uh, the nature of the Bible is it can go on and on and on and on from one generation to the next doesn't have to keep up with times 
All right, doesn't have to do that. It's good wherever you're preaching in time as as well. And I had a, a, a great, great, great grandfather who was a preacher here in the States too. And you wonder what they preached. Same thing, same thing we're doing right now. So it's good for all generations. Now he says in 90, thou hast established the earth and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinance for all are thy servants. Uh, the earth, he said, was created by God. Now let's get it exactly as the Bible says. Uh, what the father thought, the son bought, and the Holy Spirit put into action. And so when the Father was thinking of creating the world as we know it, the Son said, I'll do that. And Jesus Christ stepped up and created the world. Jesus Christ was the creating action in the world. And then the Holy Spirit brooded over creation. And the Bible tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God brooded over creation, or he is bringing life energy into creation. So what God the Father thought, Jesus Christ said, I'll make a tree and I'll make a flower, and I'll make a fish, and I'll make a bird, and I'll make a human, and I'll make a mountain, and I'll make a river, and just amazing, on and on and on. All done by the hand of Jesus Christ. You have to remember that's who did it. And the Holy Spirit was there creating energy and life that would fill the world, and that's how creation went on. And now, uh, if you look at Hebrews chapter 1, the very important verse here, which says exactly what this says. In the back of your Bible, Hebrews <coughs> chapter number 1. Both of these say the same thing. I'm pointing this one out because <coughs> it's a fantastic uh, explanation here. Paul, we're sure, is the author of Hebrews, and he uh, used his brain in a tremendous way when he wrote the following verses. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in the past time unto the fathers by the prophets, as in these last days spoken unto us, by his son, or God's word, all right? Jesus Christ has said everything that had to be said. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. And so his son, Jesus, was the actual creator, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Now that's quite a statement to make. And we can turn back to our Psalm 119 at, at verse 90. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinance, for all are thy servants. And not only did Jesus create the trees and the birds and the plants and the rocks and all the rest that's here, but he created the forces. There are forces in the world that operate this world. There is gravity. Gravity is a force in this world. Uh, centrifugal force is in this world, something that functions. Um, and that's why the Earth moves around the sun. The gravity of the sun pulls on it. And centrifugal force pushes it away. 
And it's so perfectly balanced that the world pulled by gravity and pulled away by centrifugal force spins around the sun, as do the rest of the whole universe and their movement are held by gravity and centrifugal force. Those are forces in this world. Um, uh, phototropism, you remember that one? <laughs> phototropism and geotropism is uh, how things grow. Light comes down from heaven into the plant and the plant takes light and turns it into energy and green growth. And then geotropism pulls down the plant so that the plant goes down into the ground but goes away from the earth. Those are two forces that, that run the whole uh, plant kingdom. Uh, light is very much one of those creations, and they're still trying to figure out what light is. <clears throat> they said for years that light traveled in wavelengths. Uh, now they've said, well, that may not be true. It may be tiny bursts of energy constantly going off around us, but we don't really know what light is. But these are forces that function in the world. Now what it just said here is that he upholdeth all things by the word of his power in Hebrews, or they continue, thou establish the earth, it's still here, and it continues this day according to thine ordinances, for all are thy servants. Right? So he says, uh, the forces operate in this world that keeps the world moving and turning and growing and all that it does, uh, those forces are continually under the command of Jesus Christ. So the world is functioning today because he says, go. Go around. Do this, do that. But the forces function. And it says that the, he upholds all things by the word of his power. The reason that the earth doesn't go spinning off his axis and go smashing into the sun is because Jesus Christ says, I want that earth to go in this pattern and orbit like he should. He has made those forces to work. And that's what he's saying here. They continue according to thy ordinances. He said, everything has functioned from the beginning under the power of the word of God. And so it is God who spoke, Jesus himself who spoke, and he set the world going. If you look in your hymn book, which should be right in front of you there somewhere, at uh, page number 21, the song we like to sing here. I don't know if you think about it when you're singing. I hope you do. I sing the mighty power of God. And what did he do that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies? I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full, how? At his command, and all the stars obey. And so that the world is spinning through space and the stars turning in their courses and the sun moving through the sky and the moon traveling around the earth. He says, it's all at the command of God. I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. It is the forces that make the world plants grow. He formed the creatures with his word and then pronounced them good. Lord, how thy wonders are displayed wherever I turn my eye. If I survey the ground I tread or gaze upon the sky. It's all functioning by the power of the word of Jesus Christ. There's not a plant or flower below but makes thy glories known. Clouds arise, tempests blow by order from thy throne. That storm that came by this, after, this afternoon, God, God running the world, 
Well, all that borrows life from thee is ever in thy care, and every man where that man can be, thou God art present there. And so we sing it in our song, that God functions and commands the world to operate, and which he does. And I think one of the most interesting ones is in Genesis, right in the beginning of time, Genesis chapter 8, we had the big flood, Noah's flood, and Noah came out of that, that ark, and the world was changed. It was different than when he went in, that's for sure. And God makes him a promise. He puts a bow in the sky, the rainbow, and here's what you remember, verse 22 of Genesis 8. Verse 22, well, the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. God said that way back in Genesis to Noah when he got off the ark. Because of that promise, I mock climate change people. Because of that promise. That promise says, I'm going to keep the seasons going day and night. It'll run like that as long as the world lasts. And they're going to come along and say, well, we could change the climate. Why do they do that? In defiance of God. That's why. It's defiance of God. We got the power. You got the power to do that. He's been running the world ever since it created. And it says he runs it here because all those things are his servants. The moon is his servant. The sun is his servant. The trees are his servants. I always say that's why they wretch their arms up. (laughs) The trees are worshiping. I like trees. Uh, So uh, it's clear what the Bible is trying to say here, that God's been running it. He runs it all the time. He always has. And uh, he's taking care of things. And the reason this world didn't crash into the sun or doesn't get off course or any of that thing, some crazy comet moving through the universe, uh, takes its way, goes around and goes back up again in the same orbit, round and round and round. Why? Because... He upholdeth all things by the word of his power. He said, I'll be running it now. So here it goes. And he's been running it ever since. So that's what he's telling us here in this psalm. He's talking about the Bible, which is the word of God. Here's what it's doing. It's keeping the world going. Keeping the plants growing. Keeping the sun shining. Keeping the rain coming doing all those things and the seasons roll and you know it's about to turn because it does all the time for your whole lifetime the seasons and as long as recorded history the seasons have been there because God said I'm going to let it be that way he's in charge he said it and it's done all right let's go on verse 92 unless a law had been my delights I should then have perished in mine afflictions. Verse 92. The struggles of life are things that we go through. All of us have struggles in life. And he says, unless the law had been my delight, I should have perished in mine afflictions. We think of what are the struggles of life. Well, there's a lot of them, but if we make a simple sickness... We've just dealt with it in our church. We've lost people we loved. Sickness comes as part of life. Uh, uh, death of a loved one comes as part of life. It's part of living here. It's a struggle that we go through. Relationships are struggles that we go through. Abandonment being part of that. All right? Abandoning a relationship. That's a struggle people live through. Guilty conscience. Of course, it comes because of sin. We have a guilty conscience. That's one of the struggles of life. Just weariness. You get tired. You get tired of life. You know, old man River, he's tired of living and scared of dying. You know, we sometimes feel like that. And so he says here, 
I would have succumbed when I lost somebody I loved, when I was abandoned by a friend, when my guilty conscience was overwhelming me, when I was so tired I couldn't go anymore. I would have overcome, but he says, uh, thy law was my delight. So what's the law? Sickness says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. My Bible says, I'm the Lord that heals you. Uh, death of a loved one, what? I go to prepare a place for you. And I'll come again and take you to myself. That's the happiest thing I can think of. It's wonderful, all right? Uh, somebody dies and I know they're up there in the place prepared for them. I can't feel bad. I can't be weighted down by the struggles of life. Relationship and abandonment in relationship. Jesus said what? I will never leave you or forsake you. Never, ever. Boy, what a good thing. What a wonderful thing. Guilty conscience. What do we do? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the struggles and weariness, even weariness itself, what does he say? Come unto me and I will give you rest. And so all of life's struggles, he said, would have got me down. I could have perished in my problems, he said, but your law was my delight. I read the Bible and it told me, this is what God's going to do for your loved ones that die. This is what God's going to do if you're abandoned by your friends. This is what God's going to do if you're guilty and can't deal with it. This is what God's going to do if you're tired and worn out. He's going to do these things for you. It helps. Helps, you kidding? It, it makes us sail through the afflictions of life and be able to deal with it. So he says, my, the Bible was my delight. Why? Because when times got hard, I had an answer in the Bible. I could turn to it and draw strength from it. All right, let's go on. 93. <clears throat> I will never forget thy precepts, for with them... Thou hast quickened me. Um, experiences that we have in life. Uh, the troubles that we face and the difficulties we have and experience. Have you ever been reading the Bible and all of a sudden there's a verse and that helps you. That verse helps you out of the struggle you're in. And you're reading through and you come to this verse and it says, there, that's the answer to my problem. I want to claim that verse for my own. Uh, very much the case, uh, it is here what he's saying. I'll never forget thy priesthood, for with them you quickened me, you brought life to me. Think of uh, what Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And there he walked right out of the tomb. Fantastic. All right, fantastic. You think of that experience that those people there had. Or think of Lazarus when he opened his eyes inside the tomb. <laughs> and he's alive. Man, it's, it's amazing. He gets up and comes out all tied up. And Jesus said, let the poor guy go. Come on, he's alive. And they untied him. Or remember the little girl. Jesus went in to the little girl and said, Talitha Kumai, or young girl, I say, rise and shine. Get up. And she jumped up and said, I'm hungry, first thing. Uh, I think of those things, and I think those are wonderful things. And you think about Lazarus. If he hadn't said, Lazarus, come forth. If he'd only said, just come forth. Every human that ever died would have walked out of their grave. And so he said, Lazarus, it's your turn. You come out. What a power behind that there is. And I always think of that little girl at Jesus Rose. My mother every morning came in and shook me and said, rise and shine. <laughs> I didn't feel shiny, but I rose. Betcha. <laughs> Uh, but those are experiences that, of life and that when we find this verse, it's such a help to us. 
God, you helped to us. One of the great ones that I found is what uh, he said in uh, Isaiah. Uh, um, when he says, they shall mount up with the wings as eagles. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. And they shall run and not faint. And some people over the years said to me, how do you keep going? I said, it says right there, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And God's able to do those things. And so when we're dealing, you know, when we were working here on the church, we did a lot of work. And we come here Friday night, there's a couple of us that came and worked all through the night. And we worked all through Friday night, midnight on through until the morning, and then the crew would show up. And we were ready for the crew because we worked all night. And we had everything set and the crew would start in and work. And say, well, how? the old lady next door just come over me, she'd say, Mrs. Shaw, she'd say, if you don't go home, I'm going to spank you. <laughs> I said, I can't have you doing that, though. But uh, this, that's a fact. Jesus said, the Bible says, wait upon the Lord to renew your strength. You keep going. And so that's a wonderful thing that God has done. And it's what he's saying here. I'll never forget thy precepts. For with them you quickened me. You came to my aid. You made these promises. And you came to my aid. All right, verse 94. I am thine, save me, for I have sought thy precepts. We belong to God on several ways. You belong to God in several different ways. First of all, you were created by God. You weren't an accident that happened, all right? We were created by God. It says he knew us in the womb before we were formed. All right, so he was familiar with what we were going to be before we were formed. He knew us then, all right? And so by creation, we belong to God. He made us. He made us. By redemption, we belong to God. He paid for us. He paid a price for us. And if you pay for something, you own it. He's paid a redemption for us. He owns it. Whereas by surrender, we are God. We sing the, the song, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Uh, I surrender all, all to Jesus I surrender. We give ourselves to him. We say, I belong to you. and You're his. He made you so he owned you. He redeemed you and paid for you so he owned you. You surrendered to him and so he owned you. And then he accepted you. So I'll take him. I'll take him. I'll take that person. I'll have him for my own. And so uh, there's a lot of reasons we belong to God. And uh, he says, I am thine. I belong to you. Save me for <clears throat> I have sought thy precepts. It is particularly true that God responds to searching souls. There's something extra that God did, does for souls that search him. And one of those verses I learned as a little kid was Jeremiah 29, 13. And this is a wonderful verse to help what he's saying here, so we get it. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. This is one you should memorize. Jeremiah 29, 13, he says, what? He says, God is particularly helpful to people who search for him. And he says, 29, 13 of Jeremiah, you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. All right, so the lazy person doesn't find God. But there's an ambitious person, a hungry person, who goes searching for God and is not going to take any less. And he says, when you really get searching with all your heart and you really want it, then I'll be found. I'll be found 
of you. And Jesus would say the very same thing over in Matthew chapter 7 on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7. In verse 7, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. He that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now David said that it's particularly responsive to people who search for God. And Jesus said here there's three, three uh, uh, levels. You can just ask. And I do respond. You can seek, and then you find, or you can really get intense and beat on the door. I'm here. I found where you are. I'm knocking. I want to see you. And uh, here's the wonderful thing: uh, that in that seeking, what are you looking for? He says back here, uh, because of your precepts. What he says. I am thine, save me, for I have sought thy precepts. Right? And what's a precept? It's something you obey. It's a rule. Something you obey. And so if you come to God, the idea, I want to obey you. I want to know what you want me to do. Tell me what you want me to do, and I'll obey it. And that really opens it up. Some people go to God and say, so what's the promise I can take today? What you got for me today? You got my promise for me today? Or I want to know all the doctrines. I get it all just right. So tell me what just, you know. The, the one who comes and says, teach me just what to do so I can obey you exactly. That's opening up and God responds to that. That's what he's saying here in the verse. And, you know, you understand the same thing. Make this clear. Jesus is searching for you. Jesus is searching for you. He wants you to search for him, but he's searching for you. And that's what that is. Remember what he said? Ask and receive. Seek and you find. And what? Knock. And it'll be open. And there's a picture taken from Revelations. In the book of Revelations chapter 3, he's talking to the church. And he said, Behold, I stand at your door and I'm knocking. And if any man will come in, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. But he says, I'm outside your door knocking. And of course, you know the story behind the picture. There's no knob on the outside of the door. Right? There's never a knob on the outside of the door. He doesn't open the door. You do. So Jesus is outside knocking on your door, searching for you, and it's required that you open a door because the only handle is on the inside where you are. That's what makes that picture special because it's asking, he's asking you, open a door, let me in. Let me in. I want to come in. All right. So that's why that picture's there. Verse 95, back in... Psalm 119, verse 95. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. Uh, David was a pretty cool character. He's so calm and not anxious. Uh, he's so holy. He loves to consider the testimonies. And so he's victorious. He can't be driven off from that. So he said, they're waiting for me. They're watching for me. They're watching every step I make. They're waiting for an opportunity to destroy me. And he says, I'm waiting on God's word. So they're over here watching, waiting for me to do something that will get me in trouble. And all the time I'm considering, I'm waiting on God's word. And if they can't draw me away from God's word, if they can't draw me away from God's service, if they can't draw me away from God's will, they will fail miserably. So the message is there what? Stay focused. Keep your eyes there. Look at God's word 
and the forces on the outside that are waiting to destroy us will not succeed at that. Now, we come to 95, or I'm sorry, 96. I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. I've seen an end of perfection. If you're looking at humans, it doesn't take long to see the end of perfection, does it? <laughs> Say, well, I see. Is that person perfect? No, I guess not. And look in the mirror and ask, is that guy? No, he's not either. It doesn't take long to come to the end of perfection. Uh, some people think they're perfect, and what they are is perfectly blind. All right? They're, they're blind. Uh, nobody's perfect. But he's saying, I saw a lot of things that everybody said, that's perfect. And uh, it wasn't. It came to an end. Think of his life. Goliath. If there ever was the strongest man around. It's this guy's 10 foot tall. He's spears like that. And he's walking around shouting. You can hear him all the way across the valley. Come on down, boys. Anybody wants, come on over. I mean, if there ever was a warrior, it's Goliath. And he said, I saw this guy. What are you going to do with him? He said, I got him with a slingshot. Took a slingshot. Whacked him in the head, and that was the end of him. That's the end of perfection, right? There's a perfect warrior laying face down on the ground. Got him with a slingshot. He says, I've seen the end of perfection. Um, uh, there was a fellow named Asaphel. And there were three brothers who were on David's team of mighty men. And Asaphel, the Bible says, was the fastest man around. That he could run like a deer and just run and run and run and run and run. And nobody could ever catch him. He was just so fast. And the Bible says he ran like a deer. And he started running after this guy, and he ran and ran. The guy said, don't come after me. Get out of here. And he kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. When he got to the guy, the guy went backwards with a spear. <clears throat> Killed him. It's like that. Fastest man around. You think you never get him. Oh, yeah. I saw the end of that perfection, says David. And, of course, Ahithophel, you remember Ahithophel in the story of David, he was a very wise counselor who joined with Absalom and gave Absalom advice and said, go get David tonight. Don't let him organize or you'll die. And David had sent another counselor in to lie to him and he lied and he rejected Ahithophel's advice and so the wisest man in David's council joined Absalom. Absalom rejected him and he went home and hung himself. Ahithophel hung himself. That's the end of the wisest man there was at that time. He hung himself with a rope. That's the end of perfection. Of course, Absalom, perfect case of that, it said there wasn't a flaw on him from the top of his head to the bottom of his foot. Now, I can't say about of any of us, right? Is any of you flawless from the top of your head to the bottom? You ain't got to go very far before you can see. <laughs> We're not flawless, okay? <laughs> Absalom, it said, was flawless. He was perfect. His long jet black hair hung down, and he put gold dust in it. And uh, it was a fa he was perfect. They said he was flawless from the top of his head. And what happened? He hung from a tree by that long hair. And Joab put three darts in his heart. The end of perfection. Right? So it come to the end of perfection, he says, when you're looking at people, I've seen an end of all perfection. Right. You've seen the, the, what looked like the greatest warriors, the fastest man, the wisest man. And he said, what's it all amount to? <coughs> it, it doesn't. It's not perfect. It ends. <coughs> so he said, I've seen that. But he says, your commandment is exceeding broad. All right. The Bible 
being exceedingly broad or covering vast amounts of information. The Bible covers emotions, anger, uh, joy, love. The Bible covers will, your will, the decisions that we make. The Bible covers your mind talks about your mind and the thought processes that you have. The Bible talks about the body and healing energy. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. The Bible talks about temperament, people who are positive, people who are driven, people who are reluctant, people who are pessimistic. The Bible covers temperament. The Bible talks about your soul, your life inner awareness. The sense that you are a living soul. The Bible talks about right and wrong. Explains to us what's right and what's wrong. And that never changes. It doesn't matter what society does. Society says that's not true. It's, it's true. We don't have to argue with society. It's, it's in his word. It's true. It's right and wrong. The Bible talks about family. Bible talks about church. Bible talks about relationships. Bible talks about marriage. Bible talks about wisdom. Bible talks about devotion. And a whole list on and on and on. It's an exceedingly broad coverage of life's experiences are found in the Bible. So he says, when I look at humans, I see Perfection doesn't go long, but I find a constant source and a very wide source of information in the Bible that touches just about anything I can need. It's all there. It's all there. So how do we tie these verses into one thought? And that's what they're meant to do. They're meant to explain different parts of God's Word so that you can tie them together into one thought. And how can we say that one thought? How do we tie them together? <clears throat> well, one of the things I tell people who are going to be married is I say to them, take a good look at that lady and take a good look at that man. And uh, do you like what you see? And they will always say yes. And I say, well, get a good look at them because they're not going to look like that forever. <laughs> they're going to change. And they're going to be different. And change in life is something that we all have to experience, and it doesn't, nobody escapes it. People who have been married for 50 years will tell you things have changed, no question. And life changes. And life has times that come in that we change the way we don't want it to. But in that thought, that we are going through a life that's going to change and we can't stop it from changing. Behind that is a thought that God never changes. Okay? So tying these thoughts together, what? His word is settled in heaven and he's commanding the universe and he's commanding the growth of the plants and he's commanding the flow of the water and the forces that make it all work. And he's putting all those things together and he has put things in his word that bring us back and quicken us and give us life and energy and uh, they've helped us along the way. We've been searching for those things even when we Wicked people are trying to destroy us. We still get by. He says, in the end, he says, you can trust this. God will not change. He will be the same. You can trust what he said. You never have to doubt anything about his word. He guarantees it. He's there. He's there. And so I always say to young couples, you're getting married and you're going to change. And you may look someday at your partner and say, I don't think I like them anymore. <laughs> but here's something. If you tie into your marriage, God, there's a stability that comes from nowhere else but God. There's a stability in life that sets you going in the right place and takes away the changing nature of life around us. Uh, we sing this song, Abide With Me. 
change and decay in all around I see. But O oh, thou who changest not, abide with me. Abide with me. What a great song that is. Abide with me. And so, uh, in life's difficulties, perfections that come to an end, wicked people that would like to stop us in our work, he says, remember thy word is settled in heaven. And it's running the earth and it's running the forces that keep the world going, constantly running these forces. And you can trust, put your faith in him because everything you need is found in the Bible. So you'll know what to do when you need to do it. Okay? That's a nice little section. And we only then have covered two out of 22. <laughs> Seems like we ought to do more. We might someday. Thank you.